All right, the good luck, everybody. Um, just want to uh, begin and end a, uh, a beautiful Shabbos and a tremendous thank you to everybody who helped bring in Rabbi and Rabbi Tzinkron. I want to thank the uh, Ravinsky family, the Centuria family, the Candle family, the Miller family, the Usprich family, the Anonymous family, and uh, uh, the Simon family as well. Our uh, beloved uh, president and first lady also, thank you so much to everybody who helped uh, bring in Rabbi and Rabbi Tzinkron this Shabbos. It's really been a tremendous Shabbos, uh, Shabbos of Aliyah, Shabbos of tremendous growth. Um, and uh, I don't know how Rabbi and Rabbi Tzinkron do it, traveling the world from place to place and speaking nonstop. Uh, even when we spoke before, Rabbi Kron's like, well, so what do you want me to say? Like, when do you want me to speak? I said, well... Before the Suda, during the Suda, and I think after the Suda, Shabbos morning, and then I started feeling bad. So I was like, uh, maybe to women in the afternoon, but nothing, you're not, you don't have to speak Shal Shudas. We'll take a little break. And then, and then Rabbi Kron comes and he speaks Shal Shudas too. He's like, just tell me what you want to do. And I'm here, just, I'm here to share Torah. And uh, it's been, really been very special. And uh, I just want to thank Rabbi Rebison Kron for, for really uh, helping us and uh, helping establish. Uh, Ruchnius and living a life of Rabban Shalom in our shul. And without further ado, ask uh, Rabbi Kron. It has truly been a fabulous Shabbos. I can't thank enough Rabbi Tendlishlita and the officers of this wonderful Beis HaKnesses and Beis Medrash for inviting my wife and myself. The truth is, people ask us, how do you do it every week? And my wife always says the same thing. We have the opportunity of meeting the greatest people in the world. And that's true. I mean, we've met so many wonderful people besides the friends that, oh my goodness, Rabbi Gertzland. We go back many, many years. And uh, of course, Rabbi Ravinsky and now the Millers, such wonderful family. I have the schus, I didn't realize that I know their son very well. He was uh, Mile in Sharon, Massachusetts, and we spoke many, many, many times over the years. Shilas of Brismila and advice and all that. And again, I thank all those people, Simcha Cohen, who was very involved, Rabbi Bregman, and of course, I spoke in the yeshiva on Friday, MTI. It's just absolutely incredible, the Midos, of the Chavetz Chaim boys are just incredible. Every time I speak in a girls' school, I tell them, if you want to marry the nicest guys in the world, go out with a Chavetz Chaim guy. And uh, when Gavin is ready, I'm going to be on his resume. <laughs> He's the prize. So I would like to talk about a topic that is so important, and that is bringing out the best in yourself. And what I want to show all of you is that every single man, woman, and child in this base medish can be great. It's just that we sometimes don't believe in ourselves. But I'm going to show you how to believe in yourself and how to bring out the best in yourself. And I would like to begin with a Zohar HaKadosh in Shir HaShirim. Here, put it up here. Thank you. Sure, my pleasure. In Shir HaShirim. And the Zohar says something fascinating. He says that the word Yisrael, which we all know is spelled Yud, Shin, or Sin, Reish, Aleph, Lamed, stands for Yesh, Shishim, 
Reboy Isis La Torah. There are 600,000 letters in the Torah. Why 600,000? Because there were 600,000 men that left Mitzrayim. Now, there were millions of people that left Mitzrayim, if you include the women and the children. But every man that left Mitzrayim had a letter. And this, Rabbi Yari, I wish I was sitting so I could stand up for you. Thank you for coming. I'm so honored. So the Zoyar says that Yisrael stands for Yeshishim Riboy Oisiyas Torah. Every man that left Mitzrayim has a letter in the Sefer Torah that's theirs. And all of us that are the descendants of those people, whoever our ancestor was, we have that same letter. So we are all one big collective Sefer Torah. And if that's the case, I think that we can learn three tremendous lessons. The first lesson is as follows. Imagine Rabbi Kamins was leaning, and all of a sudden, Chas Shalom, he sees one letter is missing in the Sefer Torah. There's hundreds of thousands of letters in the Torah, and they're perfect. But one letter is missing, you close up the Sefer Torah, bring it to the Kodesh, and you take out another one. You know what that teaches me? That if there's one Jew out there, because we're all one big collective Sefer Torah, if there's one Jew whether he's in St. Louis or California or Chicago or Mexico or Chile, who hasn't fulfilled his role as what an Erlich Hayid is supposed to be, then it's a question on all of us. Then we, as a collective, say for Torah, are flawed. Kirov is not only for Eishat Torah and Or Sameach and Jeb, it's for every single one of us. Every one of us here has second or third cousins that are not religious. Every one of us works with people that are Jewish that are not Religious. And many of us have neighbors that are Jewish and not religious. We have to try to do the best that we can to bring them on board because otherwise that collective Sefer Torah is flawed. That's the first lesson. The second lesson is that no two letters in the Torah can overlap. Every letter stands alone because every letter is choshev. Now, when a person comes to a large community, St. Louis, Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, a person can think, Hashem, what do you need me? Look at all these great Jews that are here. You don't need me. But the answer is every person is Chashev. That's why no two letters can overlap because each one has a significant reason of being alive, being there in the Sefer Torah. And the third lesson is, in English, there are words that have one letter. I, I go, I do, I think. A, a book, a table, a tape recorder. But in the whole Sefer Torah, there's not one word that's only one letter. Now, I know the Balkara will say, Halashem but that's not really a word. But the idea, that shows us that you can't do it alone. We are each important, but we all need a partner. No one can fulfill their role or their tafkid or their goal in life alone. You need somebody else. And if that's the case, that's what we come here for tonight. To be machazic each other, to give encouragement to each other, to build each other, and to make sure that we bring out the best in ourselves. So I want to tell you something that someone told me on my birthday a number of years ago. Now many of you know that my birthday is the greatest birthday in the world, Tu Bishvat. The whole world celebrates it. I just had a birthday last week. And On this birthday, a number of years ago, someone told me something that I found so inspirational 
But the truth is, every single one of you, if you think about it, about yourself, you'll also find it inspirational. And the person said to me, the day you were born, that was the day that Hashem decided the world can no longer exist without you. Now, think about that for yourself. The day you were born, that's when Hashem decided the world can't exist without you. Hashem needs you. That's why He brought you into this world. There are no two people that are alike, including identical twins. Everybody's got their own talents, their own mindset, their own view of things, their combination of thoughts. So Hashem needs every single one of us. Now I want to tell you an interesting story about a lady that most of you certainly heard of. And maybe she was even in St. Louis. Her name was Robertson Esther Young Grace. A great woman. Over the years, especially the last years of her life, I really got to know her. Because we were on many, many venues together. For the Shea Cares and for Gateways. We were both in South Africa. They have something called Sinai and Daba, which is incredible. And many times we would speak, and she always loved how I introduced her, because I introduced her as the Bubby of Klal Yisrael. And she loved it. And I remember she told me once that she was so close to her husband. I remember her husband, Rabbi Shulam Youngrice. And she told me that as public persona that she was, she spoke in the White House, she spoke for the IDF soldiers. Her husband was still, he was quiet, he was behind the scenes. But she always sought his counsel and his advice. And nothing that she did, wherever she went, wherever she spoke, it was only with his guidance. And she told me when he died, and he died many years before her, she was so devastated, she thought that her life was over. She can't go on, because that's where she got all her chizuk from, all her advice and counsel from. And two weeks after she, he died, her daughter, Slavi Wolf, who was a great speaker herself, found an index card in one of Rabbi Jungreis's svarim. She read it and she ran to her mother and she said, Ima, I want to show you what Abba left in his svarim. And the Rebetzin told me, it's not like I heard it from somebody else. She said, I read that card and I realized that he left it, that I should see it, so I should be able to go on in life. And this is what was written on that card. And I'm going to read it twice. A long life is not good enough, but a good life is long enough. A long life is not good enough, but a good life is long enough. And what he was trying to tell her is that he had a good life and that she shouldn't be despondent because it was good enough because he had a good life. If somebody lives to be 80, 90 and accomplishes nothing, what good is that life? And then she wrote a book. And the book is called Life is a Test. And she writes this story and she writes as follows. The goodness cannot be measured by the length of our years, but how we live those years. The goodness is not about what we amass, but what we give. It's not about having more, but being more. For in the end, our lives are judged, not by the businesses or the houses or the portfolios we built, but by the lives we touched and made better. And she told me she was able to go on with life. And of course, for many years afterwards, she was able to speak and write and do things in a public way because of the chizuk that she got from her husband. Now, some of you may know that the Sfas Emes was the second of the Ger Rebbe's. The first one was the Chedushi Arim, 
and when we go to Poland, we go to his caver, and he's buried right next to the Sfasemis, which is the second Ger Rebbe. But something happened at the funeral of the Sfasemis, which is very important for us to listen to and to remember. What happened was like this. See, unfortunately, he lived a short life. He lived to be only 58 years old. He was born in 1847 and he died in 1905. And at his funeral, his son, the Imre Emes, who would be the third Ger Rebbe, said to his younger brother, Rabbi Tzalo, at least our father had a Rikas Yomim, length of days. So his brother, Rabbi Tzalo, said, what are you talking about? Length of days? He lived to be 58. That's not length of days. Listen to what the Imre Emes said. I didn't say that he had Arichashonim. I said he had Arichashonim. Arichashonim means length of years. You're right, he didn't have length of years. But he had Arichashonim, length of days. No one, no one in the world can guarantee for themselves Arichashonim. Nobody knows what tomorrow brings. That's in the hands of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of Hashem. But every one of us here tonight and all over the world can guarantee in our lives making the most of every day. And that's what the Imri Emes meant. He said, our father had a because he made every day count. And as Rabbi Wine always said about Sfiras HaOmer, it's not only about counting your days, but making your days count. And that's what we're talking about tonight. How from today on, can we make every single day count? And that's how you bring out the best in yourself. Now recently, a song was written by somebody that I'm very close to, one of the best Jewish songwriters that we have. I was his Pirche leader in Kew Gardens when he grew up. His name is A.B. Rottenberg, who lives in Toronto. He's written many, many very heartfelt songs. Now, you want to know where he got his heartfelt songs? I can tell you. He became a Yosem at a very young age, in his early teens. And that pain and that anguish affected him in such a way that he became an extremely emotional person. And all the songs that he writes are all with tremendous heart and tremendous emotion. And he wrote a song about Zechariah Wallerstein, Zechat Tzadik Levrocha, who was really one of the Ga'inim in Kirov in our generation. And the song is called The Butterfly. And A.B. sings it with Hasidic fellow Sholem Lemmer. And it is literally, if you go online and you hear that song, it is literally impossible to listen to that song without crying. It is so beautiful. It's so painful to listen to. But there's one line in that song that's worth the whole song. And that line, and I'm going to repeat it twice. You can fly and you can soar if you'll just only open the door. You can fly and you can soar if you'll just only open the door. So I'm going to tell you now a story about a great person. He comes in in the middle of the story. All of you know who he is. And I'm going to, of course, mention his name, as you'll see in a moment. But I want to give you the beginning of this story. A number of years ago, about three, four years ago, on a month of Shabbos, I get a call from a young couple. And they're both on the phone, the husband and the wife. And they're both telling me, she spoke first. She said, Rabbi Krohn, we need chizuk. We need encouragement. We're frightened. 
I said, what's going on? What do you need chizuk? What's happening? Why are you so frightened? She said, I'm expecting a baby in two weeks. I said, that's one of the greatest things for a woman that you're able to be expecting and to have a child. Why would you be frightened? You should be excited. And she starts crying and she can't talk. And her husband gets on the phone. And he says, Rabbi Krohn, last year my wife was also expecting. And we went to the hospital on a Friday afternoon. And Friday night, the baby was born not alive. It was a stillborn. And the doctors could not believe it. The pregnancy was perfect. How could such a thing happen? And the nurses couldn't believe it. And my wife and I, we cried a whole night. We were expecting a healthy baby. And the reason we're frightened is that we don't want it to happen again, chas v'shalom. So give us chizuk, give us encouragement. I said to them, I want to tell you what to do. And I want you to take out your tillim. I want to show you something. And I want to tell you what to do. And I'm telling you, you do this. You'll see in two weeks the baby's going to be born. Everything's going to be perfect. But you got to do this and don't tell anybody I'm telling it to you. I said, take out your tillim and I want you to look at Tehillim chapter 127 and 128. Kuf Chav Zayin and Kuf Chav Ches. And I said, let's read it together. And I showed him the Pasek. biyad gibor. Like arrows in the hand of a strong warrior, that's what children are. It's in Kuchov Zion, Pasek Dalet. That means you have a warrior that stands here and he shoots an arrow and it goes very far and it could accomplish far away from where the warrior was standing. He said, that's what children are. You raise them in St. Louis and what happens? They go to Sanhedrin Mechabet and they're doing tremendous stuff. So you raise them here, but they went far away and they're doing great things. You raise a kid in Los Angeles and he goes to New York and he becomes whatever he becomes, a Rebbe, a Moorish, he becomes, or whatever they're doing to accomplish for Klal Yisrael. So children can be raised in one area, but they can go far away and accomplish great things. And the next period, I mean the same period, Kuch of Zion, Posse Gimel says, nachlas Hashem bonim, that the heritage of Hashem our children. I said, let's take a look at the next period. 128. Gimel. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine in the inner chambers of your home. And then the next Pasuk tells us, a Pasuk Gimel. Your children will be like olive sprouts around your table. Olives, as we've been having at every single meal on this Shabbos, are always fresh, always vibrant. Your children will be like olive sprouts. They're always in season. They'll be vibrant and energetic. I said, I'm telling you, both of you, say these two parakim every day. The husband should say it. The wife should say it. Kuf chavzayin, kuf chavches. Everything's going to be okay. You'll see. Fine. And we hung up. Two weeks later on the Matzah Shabbos, a guy calls me up and he says, Rabbi Krohn, I recognize his voice. And as soon as he said it that way, I knew it was good. So I said, oh, wow, what happened? He said, we had a baby girl, Mazel Tov. And I'm thinking, I'm a, bo- I'm a male, you couldn't have had a boy, right? <laughs> but I didn't say that to him, right? So I wished him Mazel Tov, and we spoke about the name, and I gave him a bracha, and I'm ready to hang up. And he says, wait, I want to tell you part of the story that I didn't tell you two weeks ago. He said, remember I told you that my wife and I, we were crying a whole Friday night? So the hospital was in Long Branch, New Jersey. And I knew there was a shul down the block. So I said to my wife, Shabbos morning, 
I know we're in a bad mood, but I really feel that I belong in shul. It's Shabbos morning. And she said, you should go. But by the time I got to shul, it was late already. They were in the middle of Kriya Satera, they're middle of laning. And as I walked in, the famous singer, Yaakov Chweki, was getting an aliyah. And he was just finishing saying the second bracha. And he had just had a healthy baby girl. And as soon as he finished, everybody started singing and clapping. He said, Rabbi Kron, you could imagine what I felt like. I'm walking in so devastated from what happened that night. I walk into shul, everybody's singing. For a wonderful guy that everybody loves. Yaakov Shweki. Because he just had a baby girl. So, of course, I also walked over to him and I said, Mazel Tov. And after davening, the rabbi announced there's going to be a big kiddush in honor of the new baby girl. And as everybody was walking to the kiddush, I went over to Yaakov Chuki. I said, Yaakov, do you mind if I talk to you privately after the kiddush? Would you mind staying for a few minutes? And he's a wonderful guy. And he said, of course not. I'll, I'll be happy. The Kiddush took a while because, you know, it was a lavish Kiddush. Everybody was so happy for him. And after the Kiddush, only he and I were alone. And I said to him, my wife and I, we really need a favor from you. Last night, we had a terrible tragedy. We had a child and the child was not born alive. And we have to cry. And we have to get it out of our system. And we know that you sing this song, Mama Rachel Cry. In such a beautiful way. Nobody sings it like you do. Could we come to your house tonight? We'll come straight from the hospital. We won't even go home. We'll come to you. Please, would you sing it for us? And we could all cry together and get it out of our system. And Yaakov said, of course. Of course you should come. Come tonight. I'll wait for you no matter after midnight, whenever you come. I just want to read you one of the phrases of that song. Mama Rachel, cry for us again. Won't you shed a tear for your dear children if you raise your sweet voice now and then the day will come. And he tells me, Rabbi Korn, I want you to know that night we went to his house right from the hospital. Not only did he sing the song for us, he sang another song, Rachem, which is a sad song about the loss of the Beis Amigdash. He gave us CDs. He gave us such time and such encouragement. It was amazing. We stayed way past midnight. I could not get over this. I mean, Yaakov Chueki. I mean, you know what he gets for a concert? Believe me, much more than I got for this Shabbos. <laughs> Believe me. You know? I mean, the guy makes a fortune. He's got great talent. And he's giving it just for this couple. And he's singing no end with CDs and chizok. So at that time, I was making a recording, which would eventually be a book called The Glittering World of Chesed, and I said to the father, do you mind if I call Yaakov Chweki? I know him. I would like to tell this story. It's amazing that a person should do something like that. He said, yeah, you could call him. I call Yaakov Chweki, and he knows who I am. I said to him, you know, I would love, what you did is so incredible. I would love to make a recording of this story and write it up in a book. He says, Rabbi Krohn, please don't tell the story. I said, why not? He said, you know why I do it? Because I want to get schar. I want to get reward in the Olam Ha'emes. And I'm afraid if you publicize the story, I'm going to get less reward than the Olam Emes. I said, Yankov, you're a bigger tzaddik than I thought you were. But I want to tell you something. I said, why do you do what you just did? Because singers older than you, like Mordechai ben David, and Avram Fried and Shlomi Dax, they've been doing this for years. 
They go to hospitals. They go to homes of challenged children. And they do it. And you learned it from them. If you let me tell the story, people will learn from you to take their talent and give it out. And you'll get 10 times more reward in the Olam Ha'emes. He says, Rabbi Kuhn, you really believe that? I said, of course. He said, okay, you could tell the story. And that's why I'm telling the story. Because we all have certain talents. Every one of us here has certain talents. And there's certain things that I could do that you can't do, certain things you could do that I can't do. And there's certain things both of us can't do and Shweki can do them. And there's a lot of things that we could do that he can't do. Every person has talent. And how does Yaakov Shweki become the person that he is? Because he took the talent that he has and he gave it to somebody who needed it. That's how you bring out your best. You have to look into your heart and believe in yourself and know what you could accomplish. I mean, I don't want to embarrass Rabbi Yari, but this man is a world figure, right? We all know St. Louis is lucky to have such a person who gives his heart to everyone. You ever see his house? I was in his house in his basement. I mean, you would think it's like a camp. It's unbelievable. All the refrigerators and the pots and what pans. Unbelievable. So here's a person who's taking, I could never do that. My wife could never do that. Right? First of all, we have no room. But besides that, <laughs> but besides that, here's a person who's taking his talents and giving it to Claw Yisrael. And I will tell you something. You can never, ever believe anyone who tells you you can't do something. If you believe you can do something, you'll be able to do it. And if you believe you can't do it, you'll never do it. Don't ever believe your sister-in-law who you haven't spoken to in four years that when she tells you you can't do it. You can't listen to anyone except yourself. The Tzidka Satzadik says there's three things you've got to believe in. Hashem, the Torah, and yourself. And many people don't believe in themselves. They feel, nah, they can't do it. So I want to tell you about a certain person. I'm just curious. I'm going to mention the name of this person. He's not Jewish. Just, I want to see how many people know of this person and what he accomplished. How many people know the name Roger Bannister? Anybody know the name Roger Bannister? Yeah, tell us. What did he do? Four-minute mile. Four mile. Right. Now, I want to tell you something. Listen to this. Roger Bannister was a medical student in England. And on May 6, 1954, he ran the mile in three minutes and 59.4 seconds, and the world went crazy. Nobody, how could a human being run a mile so fast? The only one sensatious, he may be racious, except maybe Naftali in the Torah, because the Torah tells us Naftali could run fast. But otherwise, nobody did it. Nobody could believe. It was headlines in every single newspaper in the world. Not only the sports pages. Headlines. Now, hold on to your seatbelts. You will not believe what I'm about to tell you. That was May 6th, 1954. Three minutes, 59.4 seconds. On May 6th, 1955, one year later, 37 other people did it. Nobody did it since you may be racist. He did it on May 6, 54, May 6, 55, 37 people. How did they do it? What, they ate Wheaties? How did that happen? Right? Anybody under 20 doesn't know what Wheaties are. But the idea is, right? Right? How could that happen? You know how it happened? Because all of a sudden, people believed, if he could do it, I could do it. So all of a sudden, people felt, hey, wait a second. And you know something? By today, thousands of people have done it all over the world. 
Because all of a sudden, people believed that it's possible. So I want to tell you a story that happened with me. When I was in the ninth grade in Turvadas, we had a teacher who I loved. He was our favorite teacher. His name was Hyman Ozer. He taught us English literature. So it's the ninth grade, and my, wa- my wife, my mother comes to PTA. Right? PTA is Parents Teachers Association, and all the parents come to see how wonderful or unwonderful their kids are. So now my mother's talking to Mr. Ozer, and out of nowhere, he says to my mother, Mrs. Crone, your son is a good writer, but he'll never write a book. So my mother, I was, I was in the ninth grade, 13, 14 years old. She wasn't thinking that I was writing books. She said to Mr. Ozer, why do you say my son won't write a book? Nah, he's too religious. Nobody's ever going to read what he writes. <laughs> Fine. I guarantee you, by the time the next parent came in, Mr. Ozer forgot what he said. My mother didn't forget. And surely when she came home and told it to me, I never forgot that. 25 years later, when the Market Speaks came out, my first book on Jewish short stories with Oscroll, I went looking for Mr. Rosa. <laughs> as, they, as they say in Yiddish, I wanted to see if this guy's still alive, and I found out that he was. He was the head of the English department of Hafta in the five towns, right? Yeah. You had him as a teacher? As a principal, yeah. As a principal, right. Head of English, I call him up, I say, Mr. Rosa, do you remember you taught in Tervadas years ago? He said, yeah, I had some good years there. I said, my name is Pesach Krohn. I was one of your students. You remember me? He says, I think so. I said, you know, I want to tell you something. I have a present for you. When can I bring it? He said, you have a present for me after 25 years? I said, yeah, just tell me when I could come. He said, well, if you got a present, you could come tomorrow. Fine. So I drive from Kew Gardens. I come out. He's sitting behind this big desk. And I said, Mr. Oz, I just want to show you, you know, our yearbook. You wrote us a letter. And I want to tell you a story, but I'm sure you can't remember it. But you told my mother that I would never write a book. I just want to show you. I just wrote a book for a company called Art Scroll. 95 Jewish short stories. I'd like to give it to you, and I'm going to autograph it for you. Well, the guy goes crazy. He comes out of his big desk. He puts his arm around me. He says, come with me. I said, where are we going? Just come with me. He takes me into one of the classes. He says, boys, I want to show you a former student of mine. He just wrote a book, and I taught him how to write. Could you believe that? Could you believe that? Can't even make this up, right? Let him think that he taught me how to write. But we became very close friends from that incident. And every single book that I've written since then, and Baruch Hashem, I send it to him with an autograph. And when he retired, he had me as the guest speaker at his retirement dinner. And of course, I told the story and my mother was sitting there. (laughs) But seriously, I have thought about this many times. Imagine when I first started writing that book. If I would have thought, this is crazy. My favorite teacher said, I can't write a book. I'm sitting and writing stories. It's crazy. He said, I can't write a book. Why am I trying this? You know why? Because I believed in what my mother said, as the women heard today. She believed I could do anything. And of course I could write a book. And I'll tell you the truth. How did my speaking career start? You don't just get called to speak. But when the books came out and people thought, hey, the guy could write a story. Maybe he could tell a story. And that's how it started. Imagine if Chas Shalom, I would have listened to him and thought to myself, don't write the book because you can't write it. 
there'd be no books and no speeches or whatever. You can't listen to anyone that tells you that you can't do something. If you believe you can do it, you will be able to do it. And that's how you bring out your best. Believe in yourself and look into your heart and into your mind and to your mindset and know what you could accomplish. If you know math very well, just for an example, I'm sure there are kids in Chavetz Chaim in the high school that could use a math tutor. And you call Rabbi Framwitz and say, listen, I taught math. I'm a good math teacher. I could be a tutor. If there's any kid that needs some help, you know, why not? Let me help. I'll come to the yeshiva. Maybe you could have the kid come to whatever. We all have certain talents. And you've got to take those talents and use them. And that's how you bring out your best. By believing in yourself. We have pilots here, right? Now imagine if the pilot would say, nah, I don't have such confidence. But maybe he could teach some of the kids here to be pilots. You never know. You could fly to Eretz Yisrael someday. I mean, they'll have those kind of planes, right, eventually. But the point is, here's a man with talent that could use it and show people. Okay, not every parent wants their son to be a pilot. But, you know, there must be one or two or whatever. And take a look at that handsome man over there who we spoke about last night at the Onig. We were telling pilot stories. It's unbelievable. You could do anything. And if a person has the talent, take that talent that Hashem gave you and you'll see you could change the world. Now I want to tell you about two boys, public school boys who changed the world and changed every single one of us in this room. These two boys are very, very close to me now. But when they were teenage kids, they were in public school in Forest Hills High School. And there's an organization, a great cure of organization called JEP, Jewish Education Program. And they have permission, just like any other religion, the Protestants and the Catholics in New York City, I don't know how it works in other cities, but they have permission to go into a school and teach Jewish children Torah, JEP, and the Protestants can teach the Protestant kids and the Catholic children can teach the Catholic kids a half hour a week. So one day, two guys from JEP come in to Forest Hills High School and they ask around who are the Jewish kids and they see two Bukharian kids without kippot, without yarmulkes, and they go over to them. They find out that they're Sephardic kids. They get into a conversation, and they say, would you like to learn Torah? Nah, we're not interested. No, 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 they're serving hot pizza. It's delicious. Oh, really? Okay, good, we'll come. <laughs> Fine. So they came. Now, whoever that Rebbe was that day should be benched forever. Because whatever he taught, and I don't know what he taught, but it gave those two the inspiration to perhaps maybe pursue and come back next week. After the class, the guy from Jeb asked these two boys, so how'd you like what we learned? Would you like to come back next week? Shimon and Ruben, these two brothers, Shimon told me, he said, I said to the guy, are you serving pizza next week? He said, yeah, okay, good, I'll come. Now listen to this. Shimon and Ruben, call Yaakov. What they did was they started coming every week to Jeb and then they took a little tape recorder and they started recording what the Rebbe was teaching. And they sent it to some of their friends. And then after a few weeks, when the friends really liked it, they thought, why should we send it on a recording? Let's video it. People would rather watch something than just listen on audio. So they took a little video camera and they started taping every week the shiurim from the person 
who was teaching Jeb. And then, as they were doing this, they came to a Shabbaton. Rabbi Chaya Wallace, you know, he was running the Shabbaton, and I was one of the speakers. And Shimon and Ruvain came over to me, and they said to me, you know, we know that you do a lot of speaking. Can we come video you, and then we'll send it out? Because we're sending out to a few friends, 20, 30 friends every week. I said, of course you could come. What's the question? And you could do it, you know, with other people as well. There's a lot of speakers out there. He says, you know, we would like to do that, but people say we could never start anything like this. I said, don't be ridiculous. Rabbi Friend and I do it every Tisha B'Av. We do it for the Chavetz Chaim Heritage Foundation. 20,000, 30,000 people see it every Tisha B'Av. So why can't you do it? And they said, okay, we're going to start. And that's how Torah Anytime got started. Last year, Torah Anytime, under the auspices of these two brothers and all the people they have working for them, Shimon and Ruben Koyakov, 12 million, 12 million hours of Torah was listened to, and it started by two public school kids who believed they could do it. Now, when you go on TorahAnytime.com, you hear my voice at the beginning of every talk and at the end. Why is my voice there? I still remember when they came to my house in the living room, and they said, would you just make a recording to introduce and just to close up? Every year. And the reason they came to me is because nobody else believed in them. Nobody thought that they could do it. So I said, of course I'll do it. And that voice is, I mean, it's always funny when I'm introducing myself on my sons. (laughs) (laughs) But look what two kids did. Two teenage boys who believed in themselves. They could change the world. And I want to tell you something. Failure is part of growth. And Rav Nelson Sherman once wrote something about failure. And he writes like this. Failure is not the enemy of success. It's the prerequisite. Great people were not born. They were made. They made themselves great through desire and effort and by failing. But learning from their failures and refusing to submit to them. No matter what job you're in, you're going to fail in the beginning. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't continue. Failure is part of growth. Now, if you're a pilot, you know, you don't want to fail, right? And if you're a model, you surely don't want to fail, right? That's for sure. So there's certain jobs you don't have that leeway, right? But for most of us, anything that you're involved in, you know, you're going to fail. But that's not a reason not to continue. So we really have to grow and not be afraid of failure. Now, I want to just review and then tell you the most life-changing story that you'll ever hear. So let's review. The Zoya told us that Yisrael is Yeshishim Ribu Yisrael Torah. We're all one big collective, say, for Torah. If one letter is missing, the whole Torah is flawed. If one Jew out there is not fulfilling his role of what an Orthodox Jew is, it's a flaw in all of us. Kirov is not only for the professional organizations. Let's remember the day you were born. That was the day Hashem decided the world can no longer exist without you. Let's remember what Rebetzin Young Rice's husband wrote. A long life is not good enough, but a good life is long enough. And let's remember what the Imre Emma said about his father. He had arichas yamim. He didn't have arichas shanim. And I must tell you, that gives me comfort. Because as I was telling the women today, my father died at 47. 
That's a short life. But every day, he made every day count. So he had a good life. I wish it was much longer. But the idea is, a good life is long enough. And that's how the Rebetzin was able to continue. Let's remember that our Chueki, Yaakov Chueki, that great singer, how he gave that talent that he had to that young couple who needed it so desperately. And by the way, they've had numerous children since then, Baruch Hashem. But he gave of his talent and he gave of his heart and that's why he's as great as he is. Let's remember Roger Bannister. He accomplished something nobody accomplished. Well, within a year, 37 people did it. Because once you believe that you can do something, you're going to be able to do it. And let's remember all these people who accomplished Shimon and Ruven Koyakov because they believed in themselves. They had an idea of taking a video camera and sending out. Nobody thought about that. Michael Rothschild from the Chavetz Chaim Heritage Foundation had Rabbi Friend and I go to shuls or go to schools and filmed it. But to go around and film every single person that's filming, that's, in, that's incredible. Who thought of that idea? And look how they've changed the world, literally all over the world. And so I just want to end with this life-changing story. A number of years ago in Lakewood, they decided that they are going to close all the elementary schools three days before the holiday of Pesach. Because that's a very, very busy time. And like this, the young Rebbe's would be able to come into the house, into the kitchen or whatever, and help whatever the wives would need. They didn't close the Bate Medrash, but the elementary schools. So now, it's three days before Yantif, and a fifth grade Rebbe comes into the kitchen, and he says to his wife, you know, we have off. How could I help you? She says, you really want to help? He says, I'll do anything you tell me. She says, look, Bar Hashem, we have six kids. If you could get these kids out of the house for four hours, I'll be able to bake and cook and clean, and it'll be wonderful. And he's thinking, what in the world is he going to do with kids in Lakewood for four hours? But then he remembers his kids have never been to Newark Airport. And Newark Airport is an hour away from Lakewood. So if he takes them to the airport and he takes them back, that's already two hours shot. And now he's got to figure out what he's going to do with the other two hours. And he remembers that at Newark Airport, there's something called an air train. Now the airports today are so monstrous. I mean, LaGuardia, it's, uh, to me, I still can't believe it because I've been traveling for years. LaGuardia was from the worst airports in the world. Now it's from the nicest in the world. I don't know where they got this land from. But the idea is monstrous. So what happens if you land in Delta and you've got to get to United or to American, so it's very far to walk, you get on an air train. Now in Atlanta, the train is underground. But in Newark, it's overground. So he figures he'll take the kids on the train. It's no cost. You just pay for parking. You go from terminal to terminal, and it's open, and you could see the planes landing and taking off, and it's over the Jersey Turnpike, so it's so exciting for the kids. And that's what he did. For two hours, they were on the air train having a ball. After two hours, a pilot gets on the plane. Very spiffy-looking guy with a jacket and a tie and a cap. And these pilots, especially the guys from the South, they're such wonderful guys. And he sees a father with six kids. He goes over to the kids and he says, uh, we all flying today. They didn't know what to say. <laughs> they look at the father and the father says, actually, sir, we're flying nowhere. He says, nowhere? 
He says, you see, we're religious Jews and we have a religious holiday coming up and it's very busy for the wives. And my wife asked me if I could take the kids out for four hours and we're just having a great time together on this air train. And the pilot got very serious. He said, young man, I want to tell you something. I've been a pilot for 25 years. There's not a major airport in the world that I haven't landed in. He said, two years ago, I got a text from my son. And he wrote me, Dad, you're always so busy. You never came to any of my birthday parties. You didn't even have the decency to come to my graduation. And last week was the birthday of your first grandson, my son. And you didn't have the decency to come. Do me a favor. Take my number out of your contacts. And he said, two weeks later, I got the same text from my daughter. He said, young man, I have flown everywhere, but gone nowhere. You told me that you're flying nowhere, but with your kids, you're going everywhere. And that's what life is about. The way you bring out the best, as I told the women today, there are two things you have to give your children, time and love. No organization and no person is worth giving up the time that you spend with your children for somebody else. That's the priority. That's why Hashem gives us children and grandchildren to make sure that we spend time with them and we make sure that they continue the legacy of Torah and Yerushalayim and Avas Hashem. People ask me and they ask my wife every place we go, how in the world do you do this? Nine out of ten weeks, we're out of the home for Shabbos. Last week we were in Mexico, a few weeks before in Atlanta. Next week we're in Las Vegas and after that in Boca. You know what the answer is? My kids are married. <laughs> you have to be crazy to do this kind of stuff if your kids need a story at night. Or if you have to take a walk with your kids and talk to them. For Hashem, the kids are married, so now... We're free birds. You can go wherever you want. But otherwise, their children are the priority. And that's how you bring out the best in yourself. When you can make your children special and show them that they have talents that they could bring out, then you've accomplished something. I give all of us the bracha together that Hashem should bench us. Hashem should bless us. We should be able to bring out our talents, bring out the talents of our children, Bring out the talents of everybody that we meet in shul, in the workplace, in the family. And in that way, if we achieve that height, Hashem will surely achieve and will see to it that he will bring out the best in him, so to speak, by bringing us to Eretz Yisrael together with Mashiach. I thank you for our wonderful Shabbos, Rabbi Tenlo. I cannot thank you enough. And Hashem should bench every single one of you. Good, good luck.